Okay. Well, this morning we are in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be wrapping up our, our study on Ephesians. As I mentioned last week, um, we are starting a new series next week um, on um, based off a book that came out a number of years ago. We actually used it as a home fellowship group study years ago, and uh, the elders thought it would be especially with kind of the current circumstances and the pain in our body, it'd be a good opportunity to, to look back at the topic of what is a healthy church member. So we're going to be spending, I guess, 10 weeks in the book, and that's going to lead directly into a membership class where we'll spend a couple of weeks just talking about the distinctives of CBC. And I, I hope a lot of people will be involved in that study. But for today, for today, as I said, we're wrapping up in Ephesians, we're wrapping up Ephesians in Ephesians 6, and we're going to be looking mainly at the topic of the armor of God. It's, it's the topic that our Vacation Bible uh, School looked at, um, and uh, it's always, it, as a kid, I remember that this is one of those things that goes so great with flannel graph, goes so great with um, the kind of light little... Uh, dolls that you can get that have all the armor pieces and and uh, all that. Um, sometimes, as we focus so much in on the kind of physical armor, we we might sometimes lose kind of the main thrust of the message that that Paul is sharing with us here. Uh, as as Calvin uh, said in his commentary on this passage, he he cautions against getting into too much. Uh, analogy between the armor and, and what Paul is uh, saying the armor represents uh, of just kind of getting into the weeds. He says that the main takeaway that we ought to have in this passage is really seeing what they would be used to seeing walking down the streets in Jerusalem, Roman, or, or in Ephesus, uh, Roman soldiers decked out in their in their armor. It's, it's that picture of... Uh, being prepared, being ready, being equipped. And that's what uh, this picture is for us. We are equipped in these, in these various uh, ways that Paul will get into. So let me read the passage, and then we're just going to, this morning, going to walk through it verse by verse and, and talk about it. So Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10, and we'll just read to the end of the chapter, the end of the book. Paul says, Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints 
and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the, go- the mystery of the gospel, for which, I am not an ambas- for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I, how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we are and that we that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Okay. So, let's just kind of walk through this together. I want to notice a a few things. I guess I'm going to skip ahead just a, a tiny bit. Um, what is this passage first saying our struggle is against? Spiritual forces of darkness. Spiritual forces of darkness. What do we often, who do we often think our struggle is against? Humans. Humans, right? How does he put it here in the passage? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. You know, that, that doesn't mean that our struggle doesn't come through flesh and blood, through people. Oftentimes, that's exactly who the struggle comes from. But Paul is saying here, ultimately, our struggle is not just against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not just against people. It is much higher than that. It's the spiritual forces of darkness. Now, do you think Paul says this to say, hey, it's not as bad as you think. It's not against flesh and blood. It's only against the spiritual forces that you can't see. I see a lot of smirks and and shaking of the head. No, this... It's even worse. It's even worse. (laughs) You think it's bad? It's worse than you think. Exactly. You think it's bad. It's worse than you think. If we're struggling just against people, well, we can probably match flesh and blood with flesh and blood. They sling, they sling mud, we can sling mud, whatever it might be. Spiritual forces is a whole different warfare, a whole different battlefront. So Paul isn't minimizing our struggle. Paul is, is making it, us aware that our struggle is against the the spiritual forces of darkness. This has to be taken seriously. And he's about to show us how then we ought to be equipped as the Roman soldiers walking through the streets of Ephesus would be equipped. We too, as believers, ought to be equipped. Not Not with physical armor, because our warfare is not against flesh and blood. But against, uh, but a spiritual armor because our warfare is against spiritual forces. This, you know, as we've been going through John, this is very much, you know, Peter taking out his sword in the garden. Jesus says, "Put your sword away," and he tells Pilate, "My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were, were of this world, we'd be, you know, my my people wouldn't have allowed me to be taken in like this. And here I am standing standing before you on trial." 
this as the son of God, like these, the battle's not against that. You're in in this very day, thinking of the, John, of the story of John that we're in. This very day, I'm going to be hanging on the cross, dying. And from from all appearances, it's going to seem like the physical battle has been won. That that the Jewish authorities who dragged me before you think, okay, we won. We finally killed this guy who's been a thorn in our side ever since he started his ministry three years ago. The battle wasn't against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of darkness, which in dying on the cross and then on Sunday raising from the dead is absolutely crushing. Crushing his enemies. So if our... If our warfare, our struggle, isn't against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness, then do you think? Then what do you think is necessary for this armor that we have? If we're our our attack is coming from spiritual forces, we need spiritual armor. So that's what Paul's going to work through. He begins verse ten, and this is I love as I've been working through this. In a sense, it come, seems to just come full circle with all that at, uh, Paul has been saying through Ephesians. Because you, you start with Ephesians 1, and you see all that God has done for you. And now, as we've talked about, kind of this is where the rubber meets the road, Paul's talking about what it looks like played out, God's grace in us played out through the Christian life and the Christian experience. And he talks about the spiritual armor that we're about to put on, Basis finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So this is why it's so important to think all the way back to the beginning and the totality of the letter, because we can't just say, okay, now Paul's saying, be strong. Okay, I am going to be strong. I am going to be, be ready for everything Wait, wait, what does he say? Oh, no, in the Lord, in the strength of his might. So our strength is in whom? Our strength is in Jesus Christ. Our strength is Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this uh, as as Paul works through uh, these various pieces of armor. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So, as he, he talk, he's about to break it down into these various pieces. But he starts by saying, take up the whole armor. It's not something that, we're, that we pick and choose. It's the, the totality of the, the, the whole armor that we're supposed to bring, bring on. As he, as he works through these things, these are all things that we ought to be striving to dwell and striving to uh, employ in the strength of the, of the Lord. 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So I want to work, work through these. First, let's just walk through real quick. What, what are not, not the armor uh, pieces like the breastplate and the uh, shoes, but what are the various things um, that those things represent? What's the first one? I I just said truth. What's next? Righteousness. Okay. This next one's a little bit more of a phrase. Yeah, readiness of what? What else? The shield of faith. Helmet of salvation. Spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so we're gonna walk through each of these. Take a look at these. So first he says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. As I, I talked about, I forget now if it was last week or the week before in John, this idea of truth, and we've talked about so much lately in John. Brennan, Brennan brought it up a few weeks ago. Truth isn't just a mere intellectual fact. The truth, that especially that John is speaking about in his gospel, is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As his purpose statement says, uh, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you might have life in his name. So this is the truth. God's revealed truth in his Son. Fasten on the belt of truth. So from the get-go, we are all of us, we are, we get this picture that Jesus Christ is our strength. And the very first thing is the truth of Christ. We need to be girded with the truth of Jesus Christ. We are grounded in it. What what holds us together is the truth, uh, God's revealed truth in his son. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, a couple quick references here. Someone else, if you want to turn to Isaiah, I just got to look up these references to see exactly which one I want you to read. Yeah, someone read Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. 
Very good. So you can see right away that the a lot of the language that Paul is using here comes from Scripture. The um, Isaiah mentions the breastplate of righteousness, uh, helmet of salvation. Who in that is wearing these things, though? Christ. Yeah, it's this is God. This is this is God's armor. So. Paul uses this language straight out of the Old Testament from Isaiah. And if we are resting in Jesus Christ, the first thing we need to realize, this draws me to my next blank, is it's not our, our armor, but it's, it's his armor. We are clothed in his armor. This, this is the very thing that God clothes himself in, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. He comes in for his people and we, as his people, now get to enjoy, just very much like the promises in Ephesians 1, to be equipped. Now, there is an aspect of this that we need to realize that we can. It's not that we, as he, as he equips us with these things, we can't quench that. We realize because of our sinfulness, we, we quench it all the time. Because every time we fall and stumble into sin, we are quenching the very thing that he has given us to stand firm. We are um, not rightly using the things that he has given us, but he has given it to us nonetheless. This is um, you know, reminiscent of uh, Philippians 2, Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed God, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You have what seems to be this great contradiction. But we remember, as, as Christ talked about in John 15, I am the vine. It is you... You can do nothing apart from me. So even in this, as, as Paul in Philippians is telling us to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling, he immediately reminds us, but don't worry, it's not your strength that you're working in. It's God's strength in you. You can do nothing apart from him. This is very much the same thing with this armor that Paul is looking at in Ephesians 6, is it's God's armor. But we, but we do need to employ, we do need to use it. We do need to trust in what he has given us. <clears throat> Righteousness. Just to keep going along with the theme, but make y'all work it out. Whose righteousness is it? Christ's. It's the truth about Christ. It's Christ's righteousness. This, this is the... And the heartbeat, heartbeats of the Reformation, heartbeats of the, of the Christian, Christ's imputed righteousness. It is not a righteousness of my own. Again, think of Isaiah. My righteousness is this filthy rags. And if we understood the language there, it's a filthy rags. We need to rest, we need to trust in his righteousness. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, if, you're, if someone's still in Isaiah, 
Uh, look at Isaiah 61.10. Read it. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought the, against them. That's six, 6110. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I read 6310. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. That's good. Blame it on my eyes, I guess. Okay, I will try again. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt, will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Very good. He, He, my God, He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. This is the, the, the picture, the parable of the wedding feast, the, the, uh, after the original guests have all turned down the invitation because they have something better to do than to go dine in the king's house, which you're supposed to be like, what? You can't have anything better to do than that. But they turned down his invitation, so all the this king's servants invite the people from the highways and the byways, the good and the bad, they come in. Then you have this one man who's his guest kind of bumping around in the crowd, and the king finds him and is it's like, where's, where's your wedding attire? Obviously, if they're collecting people from the highways and byways, they didn't have their, their wedding attire with them. And the custom was for the guests to come in and the king would clothe you in the proper attire so you could be part of the wedding feast. And this guy, the, the implication is he walked in, he's like, I don't need that. And the king says, if you're not going to wear the proper wedding attire, then you have no part. And it casts him out. This is, we must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. None of us can stand before God with our own righteousness. We have nothing to boast in. All we can do is boast in the Lord. It's his righteousness. Truth of Christ, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Gospel readiness. There's a few different thoughts here, and the main one I, I landed on. Very much what, uh, we'll go ahead, someone look up 1 Peter 3 and read verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. Okay, so very much 
uh, as we think about this idea of struggle and suffering, as Paul points us to feet or the readiness given by the gospel of peace, think of Peter and this readiness to give a defense of the hope that is within us. As we, as we go into the world around us, and we, we need it just as much as anyone else does. That, that's, as I'm up here getting ready this morning, a couple of you are doing that with one another. Sharing the hope that's within you to strengthen one another. But as we go out into the, the lost world and we have an opportunity, as Paul has, has shown us in uh, these relationships that we just covered, the watching world is going to be like, wait, what is going on with these weird Christians? It's very interesting reading um, some just historical accounts of the early church and various letters going around about this new way that's, that's unfolding in, in Rome and the way they describe the Christians. Like, some of it is, you know, as you hear, hear the threat from, from the Jewish authorities saying, oh, this, this, these Christians, the, the way it, it's go, they're trying to usurp the authority of the, of, of the throne, they're trying to do all these things, they're turning the world upside down. But the letters that people write are like, well, yeah, but they're not turning the world upside down by force. They're not trying to usurp any authorities. What they're doing is acting in these really bizarre ways of loving one another, of dying to self, of serving one another. We need to be ready in season and out of season. And we put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So also another, another Isaiah passage. Again, let me, I wrote down a number of cross references and just want to make sure this one's, well, yeah, this is Isaiah 52, seven. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. Okay, moving on. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. This is, as we think about faith, I know we've talked about this a lot over the years in our church, the, the confusion between faith and faithfulness. A lot of time we hear the word faith and we immediately think of our faithfulness. But it's really faith, not in ourselves, that's faithfulness, but it's faith in Christ. It's, it's the object of our faith. It's who we rely upon. This is, this is uh, the faith that Paul is talking about. Grounded in the object of our faith. Um, this is, yeah, I, that, that song came to mind again with this. Uh, I think I used it in a sermon a couple weeks ago. You know, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of, of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. This is, this is as we think about our struggle, there might be people 
who attack us and uh, say, oh, you call yourself a Christian, you do these things, more often than not, it's in my own head that I hear all the doubts. That Satan is tempting me to despair and reminding me of the guilt within. That is just a reality for each and every person. Even if, even if someone stands up as some and tries to hold themselves off as, as someone who has arrived, they know better. They know better. Or they've been sent a horrible deception. But when Satan tempts us to despair, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness. When, he's temp when he tempts me to despair, reminds me of the guilt within, I can't look to my faithfulness and say, oh no, because my faithfulness isn't good enough. I have to point to Christ. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. I, that's all I can do. That's my only defense, my, my only boast. The only thing I can ever do is to point to Christ and say, you're right, I'm guilty. But he paid for it. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Those are those flaming darts. The doubts and despairs that we all have. The, 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 the many ways that he tries to trip us up. This is... I don't think we read it already. 1 Peter 5. I know we can go between Isaiah and 1 Peter. Someone read 1 Peter 5. Um, 6 through 11. Resist him firm in your faith. Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We, again, just to keep driving this home, our strength is in Jesus Christ. The very armor we have is the armor of God. It's the truth of, of Jesus, uh, the truth of God revealed in Christ. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ, the gospel of peace that whenever we share the gospel and someone says, hey, what's the hope within you? I'm a really good guy. I go to church every, every Sunday. I read my Bible every day. I do all these wonderful things. No. The gospel points to Christ. Our faith, it's not our faithfulness, but our faith in Christ. That's, that's the only way in which we stand. That's the only way in which we can uh, resist the devil, that we can flee from him, is throwing all of our confidence, all of our hope um, 
on Christ. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Um, one of the corollaries that a lot of, that a lot of people will look at with this is the helmet being on the kind of the mind. And I think there's probably some truth to that. We think about um, Romans 12, 2 talks about the, re the renewing of our mind uh, as Paul begins in Romans to look at how, the, how humanity and their sin are darkened. Their thinking is darkened. They, uh, even though they know the, the truth, they suppress it. In Christ, our minds are being renewed. And in the renewal of our mind, we have a, a, a great hope that we cling to. Someone look at Romans 8. Romans 8, 23 to 25. of our bodies for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience very good salvation the it's so important for us to recognize especially as we struggle just with all the things that weigh us down in life all the things that uh, all, all of our sin, just all of those pressures on us. Our salvation isn't something that just happened in the, in the past at the cross or in the empty tomb. It's something that we are living in. We live in the already, not yet, as, as many say. And we're looking forward to, in a sense, with great, with great conviction and assurance because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, because Christ sits enthroned on high, we have a great assurance, but we are in a very real sense waiting for the fullness of our salvation to be revealed to us. We're waiting for that beautiful uh, moment where we will stand face to face with our creator, with the king of kings and lord of lords, and we will realize that we are now safe in his presence. As the end of Revelation says, you know, Sin will be no more, death no more, no more sickness, no more tears. We will be with him. This is the fulfillment of that, that promise that is being made from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end. God, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will dwell with you and you will dwell with me. And all these things will be done away with. All, all of these struggles, all of this struggle... <laughs> done. In fact, it's such a beautiful picture of the, the spiritual forces of darkness being tossed into the abyss and locked away. You know, the picture of hell with Satan, with his pitchfork ruling over all those who are as though that's his domain. No, hell is God's domain. 
Hell is God's domain. Satan and all his forces will be locked away, never to get to see any, and, and all those who die in their sins, never to see, this is hor- a horrible thought, never to see any of the grace and love of God again, but to suffer as Revelation 14.10, I believe it is, suffer under the wrath of the Lamb. <clears throat> then we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, Hebrews 4. I'll read this one. I'm going to read a couple. I'm going to read kind of backwards here. but Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Prior to that, considering, considering what the, the word of God is, in verse 7, he quotes the Old Testament here. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We, we live at a time and place in history where we now, we now have the, the entire canon of Scripture. It is sealed. It is done. We, we are, especially here in America, where we have probably, you know, more Bibles collecting dust on our shelves than... Um, most people even have access to. We so often neglect to hear his voice, to listen, but we, we have his word fully, fully revealed to us in his son, but made, made known to us through his word, through his scriptures. We, need, we want to know who, who Christ is. We can't, we can't sit out in the general revelation and creation and know who Christ is. General revelation does not not reveal in in a way of salvation Christ. To know Christ, to know his fullness, we have to see his, we have to read his word. We have to listen to his voice. God has given us his word. Um, We ought to live in it. This is, you know, this is, uh, you, you think through just the various psalms that, that just sing the praises of the law of God, the word of God. We want to delight in these things. This is David multiple times in the psalms saying, you know, in your, in your presence is, are, is the fullness of joy and how much I long to dwell in your presence, how much I long to dwell in your temple. Well, we do that through the word. You want to know who God is, you open up your word. This is how he reveals himself to us. The word of God, <laughs> the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he goes directly into um, not comparing this to any armor or anything like that, 
Then verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit. As we think about dwelling in, in the presence of God, what a beautiful thing, gift that we have as believers, that we get to turn to him in prayer, that we get to come humbly before his, his throne of grace with confidence, no longer out of fear, but a, a confidence that we, we can come before him in prayer. This is, in a, in a way, as we think of our strength, it being in Jesus Christ, it's his armor that we wear. All of these things point to him. None of these things point to ourselves, but we are still called to put it on. Our life is a life of faith. And so much of that is exemplified in our prayer. I know that when I am walking through life thinking that I'm holding it all together, my prayer life stinks. My prayer life is awful when I'm just when I realize I'm walking in my own strength. But when I'm realizing in all circumstances, so like whether things are going really well or things are going really bad, when I'm in prayer, I'm realizing my dependence on him. He's my strength, not me. It's my dependence on him. And prayer so much encapsulates all that. And I love it because Paul even asks for prayer for himself. You think, you think of Paul and you know, of, all, of all the people you think, Paul, Paul doesn't need prayer. He's, he's the model Christian. Oh, that we could be like Paul. Oh, like we'd be like Paul. But Paul here says, pray for me. He says, keep, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Why? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I think Paul sometimes struggled to share boldly and I don't blame him. If you think back, it's in um, 2 Corinthians 11. He goes through this long list of all the, the trials that he's been through, the beatings, dragged out of the city, cities left for dead, shipwrecks, all that he's gone for, gone through. Do you think Paul started to flinch a little bit? Yeah. Paul is asking the saints in Ephesus to pray for him that he might be able to share the gospel boldly. And he says this from a, a prison cell, from his, from his imprisonment. He's an ambassador in chains. And yet it's Paul in Philippians who, who says that he's learned in all circumstances, in plenty and in want, in, in uh, being exposed to the elements, in being comforted, in all these things, he's learned to be content. That's where that verse actually makes sense. For I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? That's not, that's not the verse for football teams. We can, we can win because Christ strengthens us. We can, we can be, have the victorious Christian life and, and have all of our needs provided for because it's Christ who strengthens me. If I just declare that verse, it's going to work for me. No, Paul says, in whatever circumstances I'm in, 
when I am left outside a city to die, or when I'm in a warm home enjoying a meal. I, I've learned that I can be content in all things for it's Christ who strengthens me. Paul asked for boldness. Before that, though, he did say, make supplication for all the saints. He, he, it's not saying that we, we don't pray for those who aren't saints, but it's one of this principle that we are especially, especially praying for the saints. This is... Um, Galatians 6 language where um, we are supposed to do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. Then we have the final greetings. And this this just, if, if there's anything that, um, well, before I do that, just kind of these arrows that I point that I have here. It's as we struggle against spiritual forces of darkness, we have to realize our strength is in Christ. It can't be in ourselves. If our struggle is not against flesh and blood, then flesh and blood ain't, ain't gonna hack it. I have to rest in Christ, his armor, truth, righteousness, readiness given by the gospel, gospel, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, all of these things. I find my dependence on as I fall to my knees in prayer. And that's all pointing back to me recognizing my strength in Christ. But as we read these, as we read these letters, the various epistles, and you have the final greetings that we maybe sometimes tend to kind of quickly read through. It is a good reminder that these are real people. As we, as we read these words and think, Paul, this is all well and good, but you don't know my life. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the struggles that I'm going through, Paul. He knew the struggles that the church in Ephesus is going through. There's nothing new under the sun. And in a very real sense, if I may be so bold, the saints in Ephesus are probably going through a lot more than what we find ourselves going through. Living in a, a culture that is steeped in pagan idolatry, a religion that at, at its core sexualizes um, through temple prostitutes and all these things, all that is, all that in their culture is saying, oh, this is well and good. This thing that you call evil, no, that's good. In fact, it's part of our religious experience. How difficult is it as a Christian in Ephesus to be the salt and light? And yet Paul, these are, these are real people. And Paul is, he, he, Paul loves them. He cares for them. He's, even though he's imprisoned, he sends his... Um, Messengers, in this case, Tychicus, his beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. It says in verse 22, I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that, we may incur- and that he may encourage your hearts. We're not alone you know, in our struggles. There's, there's a great cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews puts it, 
has gone before us. And again, as we think of that great cloud of witnesses coming out of Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, we oftentimes read that wrongly, thinking of like the heroes of faithfulness. No, it's the heroes of the faith. I'm okay calling them heroes because they're people who've gone before us who in all their struggles and sin have looked to Christ. Even though at their point in time in history, they couldn't see very clearly, but they knew the promises of God and they had hope. Now we who have the fuller, the full revelation of, of God in Christ and in his word, we look forward to our salvation to come. And that wraps up Ephesians 6 and Ephesians. What uh, questions you may have or just comments about as we kind of just go over just a few minutes here, comments that you may have about just Ephesians and our, our walkthrough of it, what's been especially encouraging to you. It's encouraging to me that he does not expect me to remain faithful, uh, to keep my salvation. He's done it all for me. And I am just to walk in the conscious awareness of his presence moment by moment, discussing everything with him and not leaning on my flesh, which I'm so used to doing. But that's what he abhors about. I mean, when reading our lessons and you know that we've been having in the Word, every, every, just about every verse says, "Lean on me." You know, know that I am God. Quit striving. Rest and know that I am God. And I'm rest. I'm, wait, I've got to do something. No, yeah, what you got to do is rest and watch me. Yeah. And call out to me. Yeah, and it's just. You know, this past week I was thinking about how Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we're putting on truth, we're putting on Jesus. I mean, literally, that's, mm -hmm. you know, and all of it is of him. And, and then he said, um, John 1, 1 says that he, his name was the Word. The Word did it all. And now then it says that the word is alive and active so when we actually pick this up mm -hmm. if we don't see him face to face but it's him you know and whenever we read it he's talking to us he's telling us something and and i think the part for me that's working it out is what are you saying and what am i supposed you know how does this apply to me um, because he's going to do that too. Mm -hmm. He's going to show me that too, or else he wouldn't be having me to take a look at it. So it, it, it's just been so strengthening to realize it's all of my Savior, and he's, he's done so much over the years in my life, so I can trust him. I can't trust me still, but mm -hmm. I can trust him. Something I really like about Ephesians is know that we're no longer slaves to sin and now Christ is our master we know that he wants us to be serving him like what what exactly are we supposed to be doing and I love the mix of just spiritual encouragement and 
laying the foundation of Christ from reminding us of that because we need constant reminding of that. But there's also so much just really helpful blue collar, like this is what this is how you should be living your life as a representative of Christ to the world. And like, I need that. <laughs> I need to know, like, now that I'm in his family, like, how do people in his family behave? What are we supposed to be doing? And how are we supposed to be doing? And I really I like the mixture of that. This is something one of my professors, uh, I think it's a main theme out of Numbers, which can be a very hard book to read as you're going through your Bible reading plan. But something that the, the picture that is uh, made for us is he calls his people to be a holy people, and that holiness comes by, t- by time in his presence. If we want to be, see, be, and I want to be a different uh, husband, a, a godly husband, a godly father. If I want to do the, if I want to be the salt and light in the world that I'm supposed to be, I have to spend time in His presence. Through His Word, through His prayer, through prayer, through prayer, it's it's time in His presence, and it's that, it as you. Uh, talk about Phoebe being a citizen of his kingdom and what that looks like well that that all comes out through all of these things uh, we can't manufacture that ourse- ourselves it should be there it should be there we, we all struggle with it in different degrees but that should be present in us we should be striving for that but we don't we don't strive in our own strength but in his it's like why do we put on all this armor are we being called to battle all we're asked to do is stand. It's like it makes me think of where it says, you know, the Lord fights the battle for you. So we need this armor and faith just to just to stand waiting for that, that putting on. And on the truth thing, I just am reminded of a sermon a while back. I remember thinking the belt of truth, like what what is that about? And the way this pastor explained it was <clears throat> for a for a soldier going into battle, that, that belt is actually very important. It's they would like wrap up their their um, clothes into the belt so they're not like stumbling over themselves mm-hmm. and tripping themselves up. Um, I just thought that was very interesting because I would have never understood the whole truth and I heard that yeah. well we are late as usual when I'm teaching time management is a weakness of mine Josh would you mind closing us in prayer of our hearts, Lord, to see and know your truth, Lord, that you're operating in every aspect of everything. Lord, if we understood the outcome of the things we go through, we would be asking for more of it. And yet, Lord, I also understand the reality of pain and 
I just pray that you would strengthen us, unify us, Lord. Help us to have the mind of Christ, which is found in your word. Enable us by your spirit to walk in love, to count others as more significant than ourselves. Lord, if, if the enemy is not flesh and blood, how much more our fellow believers? Let us do good to the household. Understanding of your church. We're so blessed here. Father, I pray that you be glorified in the things that you're accomplishing. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.